0: Howdy, folks. I'm fixing to tell y'all about Texas, nicknamed the Lone Star State. I'm particularly fond of these. I pulled them out of a place on Midgard called Texas. Don't mess with Texas. That's the message. I'm Walker, and I'm Texas Ranger. I mean, anything for Salinas. this week's episode of Texas Slink for Crazy. This week we're discussing William Ellis, the man who would go from Texas slave to Mexican millionaire. William Ellis was born to slaves in Victoria, Texas in 1864, but he would die Guillermo Enrique Alicio, one of the wealthiest men in Mexico. My apologies if you've read the book, The Strange Career of William Ellis, the Texas Slave Who Became a Mexican Millionaire, because this episode is going to seem like a pretty big oversimplification of his life. What I'd recommend is getting the book by Carl Jacoby if you haven't read it yet, and I'll make sure to include a link so you can check it out from your local library or even purchase a copy yourself. William Ellis was raised in the town of Victoria, Texas by two slaves who had just been freed shortly after his birth. We talked a little bit about that in the Juneteenth episode. He still grew up doing hard work and helping his family stay running. During his time in Victoria, he spent a great deal of time among Mexicans and Tejanos. Thanks to his sister's new school teacher husband, he had a chance to go to school. He learned some education basics, and his close quarters with Mexicans allowed him to learn Spanish and become fluent. It wasn't long before Ellis realized he could use this to his extreme advantage. Across the border, Ellis' lighter, darker skin made him look like he was from Latin descent and he was treated far better than he was in the United States. This concept is called passing, meaning passing for a different race. William Ellis was smart, business-oriented, and he knew that people would assume what they wanted to assume, and this could definitely be to his benefit. Around 1887, he settled in San Antonio, claiming to be part Mexican and part Cuban, both from high-ranking families. This seemed to work and he was able to participate in deals he otherwise would have been barred from. Sometimes the combination changed up, and he would also claim to be Hawaiian or other unique combinations. One thing Ellis never forgot was a humiliating train ride north. He'd had a first-class ticket and was forced into the back of the train where Black people were required to ride. He swore this would never happen to him again. In the 1890s, Ellis began contemplating what it would take to get Black folks into a colony of their own across the Mexican border. His first attempt included a request to have 5,000 Black men and women from the American South come to Mexico. Despite many large promises, funding and backing from the Mexican government fell through. He tried again a few years later, but smallpox broke out and many folks fled back to America. In the early 1900s Ellis capitalized on the U.S.'s almost obsessive interest in investing in Mexico and got himself an office on Wall Street. He even had an apartment on Central Park West. A newspaper in 1897 referred to him as quote without a doubt the wealthiest resident of the city of Mexico end quote. He went by the name Guillermo Enrique Alicio, a translation of his birth name into Spanish pretty directly. He became the head of a series of mining and rubber companies Now wealthy, he decided to turn his eye on marriage. After an almost disastrous relationship with a woman who was trying to con him, he was called in as a witness for her trial. There was some question over his race and he ended up being referred to as a high-toned Cuban gentleman. He wore an incredibly expensive suit and his fingers were decked out with diamonds galore. The woman's family's insistence on his Latin descent kept his passing secure, but he became more insistent on his image. He ended up marrying a white woman named Maud Sherwood in 1903. He claimed she was a descendant from English nobility, and that they'd met at a great estate and fallen in love. The truth was, Maude's family worked at the docks, and she was a stenographer. The story sounded so much more exotic. With passports and birth certificates not as easy to access today, if folks even had one at the time, it was easier to shape and change your own story. He and Maude moved into a home in a wealthy suburb outside of New York City and began a family. Ellis would continue his travels and spend a large portion of their marriage in Mexico City. He traveled to Ethiopia to create ties with King Menlik there, again contemplating a colony for Black folk to escape the intense racism of the American South. Unfortunately, funding was again an issue because few people wanted to remove what they considered to be a pool of cheap labor from their own backyard. Disgusting again. Frustrated with America and realizing something may be wrong with him physically, Ellis sold off his Wall Street shares. He began to take ill, suffering from dizzy spells and other medical ailments, including often being unable to get out of bed. Some suspect it was typhus, but with medical records the way they are from the time period, it could have been a variety of things. He began to spend more time in Mexico City, partially in an attempt to hide his illness from others. He would pass away in 1923. He is buried in the Spanish Cemetery in Mexico City. His son, who would later travel to Mexico to follow in his father's footsteps, is buried in the American Cemetery. In 2019, the rights to the book about his life, written by Carl Jacoby, were purchased by Hollywood. So here's hoping we get a really interesting film in the future. Thank you so much for listening to this week's episode of Texas Sling for Crazy. We hope you're doing well. If you want to follow us, we're on Instagram at txslangforcrazy, We're on Twitter at SlangTX. We're on Facebook at Texas colon Sling for Crazy. And you can always reach me via email at txslangforcrazy@gmail.com. at gmail.com. Have a great week, y'all.